I'm Jonathan Eder, host of Seekers and Scholars, a podcast from the Mary Bakerty Library in Boston and online at mblibrary.org. So, listeners to Seekers and Scholars, the music you just heard was a sample from César Franck's Chorale No. 3 in A minor, played on the original organ in the Mother Church Extension here in Boston. The virtue of the organ and those who dedicate their lives to its mastery is an underlying theme in this episode. But before we get into it, I just want to remind you about our Seekers and Scholars survey. If you've already completed it, thank you. If not, you can find it at mbelibrary.org survey, or there's a link to it in the descriptor on the episode page. So to return to the music that we heard at the outset, its significance is that it was played by Ruth Barrett Phelps. The career of Miss Phelps is the subject of our conversation today. Her story is a fascinating one, in part because she was the first woman to be permanent organist at the Mother Church and, to date, the longest serving. Her career spanned 27 years at the console of organs here at the Mother Church in Boston, including the famous Aeolian Skinner organ installed in 1952 and admired by organ lovers throughout the world. So with me today to discuss Ruth Barrett Phelps are three people that have become friends around this subject of her. She brings people together. So I'm delighted to have with us today Claire de Cusati. Hello, Claire. Hello. Claire is an officer with the Boston chapter of the American Guild of Organists, and by virtue of that, she has a great deal of insight into and documentation about Ruth Barrett Phelps as the first woman dean of the Boston chapter of the American Guild of Organists and her relationship with the Boston organist community. Claire is a graduate of the Westminster Choir College a very celebrated institution for the formation of musicians, uh, including organists. So, so happy to have you with us, Claire. Thank you, Jonathan. It's great to be here today. Also with us is Brian Ashley. He is the current permanent organist at the Mother Church. It'd be wonderful to learn about the meaning of being in that role and how it connects to the story we're telling today about Ruth Barrett Phelps. So welcome, Brian. Thank you, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be here, and I look forward to exploring this topic together. And wonderful always to be in your company, Alison Lazar, Senior Manager, Research and Collections here at the Mary Baker Eddy Library and the author of an article on Ruth Barrett Phelps that appears on the library's website as part of its Women of History series. So welcome, Alison. Always great to be with you as well, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Allison, in doing this research on Ruth Barrett Phelps, what did you find out about how she got started in this profession and what would be her life work? I think there's sort of two facets to the beginnings of how she ended up as the permanent organist for the Mother Church, and that is her love of music and of the organ. She went through a lot of years of education. She Mm. studied with quite a number of people as well as she went to to schools, and then she became certified through the American Guild of Organists. So there's the professional side of of her credentialing Mm -hmm. um, and all the work that it took to get there. But then there's also the spiritual side, you know, the religious side. 
She was not born into Christian science, but her mother discovered it when Ruth was quite young, Mm -hmm. actually. And so she was raised in an environment that loved God and loved Christian science. And she followed in her mother's footsteps and joined the church when she was in her early 20s. And so that was a rich part of her life and her experience, and and it informed her approach to the organ and to organ playing and to music in general. Well, it sounds like what she ended up doing was almost ideal. It brought together (laughs) her love of music and her love of her uh, her faith, her, I, her spiritual practice. I, I think that she would agree with that statement. Yeah, well, that's fascinating. Claire, what did it mean to be a woman as an organist in her time? And, and maybe it's helpful, Allison, if you could clarify her dates for us so we can place her in time. Sure, yeah. So she was born in 1899, mm-hmm. and she became the permanent organist for the Mother Church in 1934 and remained in that position until 1961. Before that, uh, she'd actually been in New York for Mm -hmm. a little bit, and she was a theater organist there. And this is during the vaudeville days. Right. But she also gave classical recitals Mm -hmm. as well, and she was involved with broadcasting. So, Claire, what would that have meant to be a woman in this profession, in this time period, in these locations? When you look at Ruth, I think that, as Allison said, you have to look at her versatility, mm-hmm. her depth, her breadth, and her concern for the organ and organist in general. Right. Now, there were a lot of women organists in her time, and this was part of the era. Right. Women were not necessarily wholly recognized. They were clearly there in presence and numbers, but not necessarily publicized. So, for example, I was doing a little research yesterday, and um, even overseas, one of her contemporaries was the famous musician, organist, composer, and teacher, Nadia Boulanger. All right. And Nadia was an organist, But in her particular experience, managers, philharmonic directors didn't think she was pretty enough. She didn't wear a lot of makeup. Mm. Uh, So she essentially gave up a performing career because of the uh, style of the times. So when we look at Ruth, especially coming to Boston, and when we talk about her as becoming dean of the chapter and managing the 1950s National Convention, you won't see a lot of mention of her. But that is just because, again, of the fact that women weren't reported on. Mm -hmm. Many women played at the convention, they were involved in the convention, but they weren't mentioned by name. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of women around playing the organ, but not so much publicly publicized, mentioned in newspapers, etc. But in saying that, what I'd like to also say is that she had to be a force of nature. Mm. Because to have to go up and do what she did and to be heard, you could not be a wallflower. 
Okay. <laughs> so you had to have the skills and you had to have the communications ability and the organization ability. And again, the musical skills, because that was your key, your right. entryway into this profession. You had to be recognized as an excellent organist. And then all these other traits just lent credibility to you. Brian, tell us about what it means to be permanent organist at the Mother Church and also about the instrument that you work with. There are many reasons why people come to Boston with the intention of visiting the Mother Church and, and the complex here for the headquarters of the, of the Christian Science Church. But certainly one of the main attractions is the organ that lives here. Becoming organist of the Mother Church in Boston is, I could say, the epitome of my career as an organist. Arriving here in Boston at this magnificent organ, which is ranked as one of the greatest on the planet, mm. as far as ranking organs in size goes, it's apparently number nine if you're counting pipes. Right. And as far as church organs go, it makes it around third or fourth largest in the United States. Wow. So it's not just large. It's also an amazingly well-designed organ. And this is in great thanks to Ruth and her husband, Lawrence Phelps, who was the tonal director of Aeolian Skinner at the time. And it gave him an opportunity to put into practice some growing trends at the time of an organ reformation movement. So she presided over a, a grand instrument that had a, a fine reputation. I even heard an anecdote that when the organ was initially uh, dedicated, uh, the opening concert by a famous German organist at the time, they had to turn away 10,000 people mm. who, who wanted to attend. And so she presided over an, an organ that not only was state-of-the-art of the day, it was an organ that was capable of playing all of the organ repertoire from the Renaissance to modern. And so the organ of today was also designed to play as much as possible all of the repertoire, uh, more than perhaps other instruments besides voice, the organ is perhaps the instrument with the oldest and most expansive repertoire. Mm -hmm. And so for an organ to be able to accommodate all of the different schools and countries and eras, it has to be large. It has to be multiple organs within one. And so Ruth and her, her husband, Larry, combined forces to design an organ that really was capable of playing basically all of the repertoire that was considered significant in the day. So this organ is perfectly designed to handle all the needs of a church service, but also for concerts and recitals. The organ has been used over the years as a showcase instrument for uh, the conventions that occur in Boston, the, the American Guild of Organist Conventions. Brian, that's wonderful to hear about the importance of this organ, not only for the Christian science community, but for the Boston community and, and really for the worldwide community as a whole, as something that is so meaningful to so many people. So, Claire, what was the significance of Ruth Barrett Phelps for the larger community of organists and musicians in Boston? Her involvement in the Boston chapter of the American Guild of Organists was critical to that. Her influence carries on to this day. When she came to Boston in 1934, she did immediately join the Guild. Didn't have her first mention concert in our history files until February 4th, 1946, right after the war. And so she was 
instrumental in rebuilding the guild after the war had ended. Right. Ruth became a member of the executive committee. Mm-hmm. And again, working with many other people in the organ community, her responsibility was to reach out to members and to hear their concerns and to try to bring those concerns to the leaders of the guild in Boston who may not have contact with all the members. So her role was important in listening, understanding, and bringing forward something that might be needed. One of those things was her advocacy of a choir master exam mm. to train choir masters who are employed by other denominations. Now, Christian Science clearly has a soloist, but Ruth was knowledgeable enough and concerned enough to worry about the quality of vocal music that was in worship in other denominations. Mm -hmm. So she advocated for this examination. She got it through the Guild, and the first sitting for this examination, which at the time was done in person, was held in Boston. Another point I wanted to add to your point was why do people come to Boston to hear this organ at the Mother Church? I was part of the 2014 Convention Steering Committee, and we would not have a convention unless we came to the Mother Church. (laughs) I mean, it was just a given. Right. And in fact, the final concert was held there. It was to thunderous applause and acclaim and it was just kind of the crown and glory of the whole week yeah interesting the rebuild that larry and and ruth were involved in of the organ to be the aeolian skinner that we we have now in addition to all of the things that you were saying brian the goal was also to have an organ that was ready and able to be easily recorded and broadcast ruth had a sense that Having people allow the recordings into their home and into their hearts enabled them, maybe for the first time, to hear an organ played in the classical style and sort of raised their expectations for what organ playing could be. Like you were saying, Claire, that was always in her mind. She really wanted she wanted this to be getting out to the people and for them to be appreciating a really high quality of, of music and to let the organ just sing to the best of its ability. Allison, I'm interested in what you discovered, and, and this sort of came out at the top of our conversation, about this merging of spirituality and musicianship for Ruth Barrett Phelps. What were her thoughts on how those things connected for her? At the the 1936 annual meeting of the Mother Church, Mm -hmm. she actually gave a report called Our Musical Standard. Uh Um, And in it, it really comes out what she feels about the intersection of Christian science and Christian science practice and her work as organist. She said, in her message to the Mother Church for 1900, our leader tells us that music is divine. Mind, not matter, makes music, and if the divine tone be lacking, the human tone has no melody for me. And she goes on, 
Therefore, the aim of the Christian scientist who is a musician is not only perfection in what we may call the letter, but also a full, harmonious expression of the healing spirit. We strive to obtain for the Mother Church the finest quality of music according to the generally recognized high standard. Yet this is not enough. Consistent mental work for the music at our services, constructive criticism, cooperation, and support help to bring out more complete demonstration, result in better renditions, and constantly unfold ways and means of improvement. Quality, dignity, interesting material, and variety of style are taken into consideration when selecting solos and organ music. So there definitely is this this strong overlap for her. Yeah. I, I think you can't actually pull them apart. Right. Claire, we, we've learned from Brian and from Allison about Ruth Barrett Phelps's legacy in terms of the design of the Aeolian Skinner organ that lives here at the Mother Church Extension in Boston, and her contribution to the quality of music, to the standard of music that was played here and was broadcast from here. But for you and for the Boston chapter of the American Guild of Organists, what is her legacy? Well, I would think it would be the 1950 convention, the National Convention, and her leadership of it. Uh-huh. This was five years after the end of the war. People were still returning and rebuilding in this country. Right. And the convention was held here. Now, Ruth came to the convention late in the planning stages. She became dean in 1949, and she was on the planning committee with some very towering figures, including E. Power Biggs, who served as program chair. Mm -hmm. And you talk about having fortitude uh, to work (laughs) with uh, E. Power Biggs. She had to have that. Yeah. But it was the best-attended convention ever. The reporting largely ignores the mention of women in the convention, but that was customary at the time. We talked about that. And her role in the convention is bigger, probably was bigger, than the reporting of the day. If I could read this, this was from the review of the convention. Mm -hmm. It said, high praise has been given the chapter by President S. Lewis Elmer, the National Council, and by many who attended the event, 1,141 persons were registered. For the smooth scheduling of events and the outstanding programs of the five-day jamboree, certain it is that all who came to the convention will always have pleasant memories of the week, and it is possibly the highest tribute that can be expressed for such a fine convention. It was a success socially, musically, and financially. So it was the largest convention to date, uh, and that's since the founding of the AGO. It was dedicated to new music of the moderns, Paul Hindemith, Leo Sowerby, Jan Alon, and others. It was a first for a competition for young organists. Mm -hmm. And again, this gave notice to Ruth's concern about the young organists coming up in the ranks. Eleven young organists played, and a prize was given for the uh, best playing. There was diverse programming. We had everything from 
all American music, you know, Yankee Doodle music type of thing. <laughs> right. And the All Bach concert, an evening at the Pops, the Fred Waring Chorale, right. concerts for two organs. And we had many exhibits from organ builders, which were pipe organs at the day. So there were very many innovations for this convention. And this set the stage for the following convention, which was held in 1952, where it's the first time a woman actually led the convention and was not simply on the committee. Mm -hmm. So Ruth had a sustaining impact on the convention in Boston and for the Guild as a whole going forward. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, it's been wonderful to be with all of you today to discuss Ruth Barrett Phelps um, and, and to learn about her amazing impact and all the virtues that she had to apply to be a, an organist at the Mother Church here in, in Boston and to extend that to the, to the Boston music community o overall. So thank you all. And just as we go out, we're going to have the opportunity to hear you, Brian, playing a composition by Ruth Barrett Phelps uh, called Variations on a Cornish Folk Tune. Is there anything you'd like to say about this charming piece, if you will, by her? It was actually quite an enriching experience to study this piece. I have her two collections of selections for music and church services, and those are very interesting because it, it shows not only what she found to be music that was appropriate and suitable for the church services, but also of the mores of the day. There was a lot of transcriptions and heavily edited, uh, even early music. Um, sometimes the keys were changed to make them easier. So one of the collections as the final piece in there, this piece called Variations on a Cornish Folk Tune, mm -hmm. and it's a charming beautiful melody in a minor key, and she uses the variation techniques. The theme is played straightforward like a hymn, and then these little mini movements that, that use the tune in a different way, either harmonized or with some, some lovely solo stops on the organ, or sometimes the melody is, is ornamented and elaborated on. And then in the final variation, she's obviously taken her inspiration from Bach, Mm -hmm. And there's a strong contrapuntal element, the polyphonic element to it. And what was particularly interesting for me was that in the cover of the book, she has a stop list for a typical three-manual organ. And if you look at it carefully, basically, she has listed the exact specification of the organ in the original edifice. Oh. <laughs> and so for me to have a direct line into the composer's line of thinking yeah. and to actually have the organ itself that she conceived it for was was a gift beyond beyond measure. I did practice it on the original organ to get the sounds that she in, intended into my mind. And then when I got home, I tried to adapt it as closely as possible. In learning these pieces, I love the fact that I was working on the organ that she conceived it for. Well, that's wonderful. Well, before we listen, and, and we'll start it sort of midway through, before we listen to Brian's playing of Ruth Phelps' composition, Variations on a Cornish Folk Tune, I'd just like so much to express my gratitude to our guests. So thank you so much, Brian, for sharing about your profession and the meaning of Ruth Phelps' career for you. 
My pleasure. It's been great for me also to examine um, on a regular basis what I do and why. (laughs) And um, and she's a true inspiration. I mean, her legacy beyond what Claire mentioned as her great work for the organ world in general, her legacy is this organ. This organ which continues to inspire and uplift not only our church members, but our visitors and the world community as well. Yeah. Well— Thank you, Brian, and and also thank you so much for what you contribute to what we experience through Mother Church Church Services. And Allison, thank you so much for your contribution to our conversation today and for the work you did in learning about the career and life story of Ruth Barrett Phelps. It's always so much fun to dig deep and learn about these untold stories of really fascinating people. And Claire, thank you so much for giving us these wonderful insights into her career and her meaning for the Boston chapter of the American Guild of Organists and really just giving us a sense of what it meant to be an organist at that time and the challenges she faced and the qualities she had to to rise up and meet those challenges. So thanks so much, uh, Claire. Thank you for making me part of this. And Jonathan, I'd like to thank you for putting this all together and I've learned so much from this collaboration, and my knowledge of Ruth has been deepened, and I'm sure I can share that back with our chapter. Oh, that's terrific. Well, we look forward to future association and for the music always to continue. And with that, just another reminder about the survey. If you haven't taken it already, we'd love uh, to have you do that. It's very helpful to us here at Seekers and Scholars. Uh, you can find it at mbelibrary.org slash survey or a link to it in the descriptor for this episode on the webpage on our website. And also, just looking ahead to our next episode in January, it has the title of Mary Baker Eddy Writing Without a Room of Her Own. So I hope you can join us for that episode. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you for listening to Seekers and Scholars. And for listening just a little bit longer to Ruth Barrett Phelps's Variations on a Cornish Folk Tune, as played by Brian Ashley. This podcast was produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library, copyright 2021.